If I could just get a, a show of hands of everyone in this place, if, if you could just live a life of, of peace and happiness and you would be promised to be happy at all times and have joy, not even just happy at all times, but have peace, who would want to live that kind of life? Or what if I said, well, I can promise that you'll have a life filled of, of anger or, or sadness. How many people would want to live that kind of life? All right, so I didn't get every hand up, so we'll, we'll try it again. If you could live a life full of peace and happiness, how many would want to live that kind of life? Well, I'm going to believe by faith everyone raised their hand. And uh, let's say if I could just give you somehow today, I'd give you $10 million. How many of y'all would be at peace and happy with that? Be honest, $10 million is a lot of money. Or let's say I could... Uh, give you your dream job today, how many would be at peace and have happiness with that? Or let's say I could give you the, the house of your dreams. How many would be happy with that? House of your dreams for free. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> or what if, be careful when you answer this one. What if I could give you the husband or wife of your dreams? So... So uh, for the married people, be smart. <laughs> or for, for the younger people who aren't married, what if I give you the boyfriend or girlfriend of your dreams? How many be happy with that? See? That's, that's, a good, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. Well, I'd like to um, share just a quick testimony, a quick story that I have. I have a, a good friend. Um, his name is Antonio Daniels. And pastor shared part of his testimony not too long ago in this place. And uh, I used to joke, I call him AD. I used to joke with AD a lot, like AD is one of the most down to earth people you could ever meet. And you wouldn't know he had money or not. I used to always joke until you get to the parking lot. And uh, I stayed in San Antonio the last year I played college basketball. I played a little bit after that, played semi-pro stuff and things like that. And the last time I was down there, I was playing in San Antonio. And A.D. kind of took me under his wing and mentored me and things like that. So I used to joke, you'd never know A.D. had money until you got in the parking lot and you'd see a different Porsche every single day. But for those of y'all that don't know, A.D. Antonio Daniels, he played 13 years in the NBA, played for the San Antonio Spurs, won a championship with them. And he shared one time that when he was in high school, if somebody would have told him, you know what, you could make it to the NBA and you would make $200,000 playing, he grew up with nothing. He said he would give anything he could think of just to make $200,000 and to play in the NBA. If you fast forward on his life, AD made it to the NBA. He made his first $5 million, wasn't satisfied. He wanted to make 10. Made 10, wanted 15, wasn't satisfied with that, wanted 20. 20 wasn't good enough. He wanted 30. AD made over $50 million in his 13-year career in the NBA. And it wasn't until he had a wrecked marriage, relationships were broken, he was at his lowest point that he was like, you know what, these things don't give me peace and happiness like I thought it would. These things have just, I've just been broken. Amen. And it wasn't until that point where he was at his lowest point that he called out to God. And God restored his marriage. God gave him and his wife a, a great ministry that they do to this day in San Antonio. Amen. And it's one of those things that we realize that only Jesus can fill that void. We always want things. We always think that we need this, we need that. 
but it's only God that can fill that void. If you're taking notes today, the title of the message is going to be, You Can't Create Peace and Happiness. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I just thank you for this opportunity this morning, Lord God. I just pray that your your words and your thoughts will come out, Lord Jesus. I submit to you, Lord God. I pray that you will arrest the minds of everyone in this place and allow us to focus on your word. And I pray that you will minister to each and every one of us, Lord God. I pray that no one will leave here the same way they came in. I just give you all the praise and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look to the person on your right and tell them, You can't create peace and happiness. Look to the person on your left and say, you can't create peace and happiness. If you don't have anyone to the left or to the right, say, I can't create peace and happiness. Because you can't. So let's open up to Matthew chapter 11. If you have your Bibles with you when you get there, say amen. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's read verse 30 again. Jesus says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, yoke is what farmers would put around the neck of animals for them to submit to their authority. God's yoke is his commandments. We are to live by and his burden is light because we aren't on our own. He will help us through any and all issues when we submit to him and not try to carry our problems or burdens by ourselves. If you open up with me to Exodus chapter 20. Say amen when you get there. I'll just read verse 17. It says, the Lord says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. You see, in that commandment, God knows us. He knows our hearts. He did that because we as people, we always feel like we need something. We always want this. We always want that. We always feel like we want something that could never satisfy us. You see, when we were born as as children, little babies and kids, they always want toys. They always want this. Just a a small story yesterday um, when we were preparing for United, uh, Donnie and Nicole's kids were in the back. They're in the little, I don't know what you call them, baby carriages, seats, something. High chairs. I don't have kids. I'm sorry. High chairs. So they're in that, and little baby Asher was there, their oldest son. And uh, he had he had a, what is that called, a desk something? He had a desk, all right? And he had a whole bunch of toys on his desk. And as soon as he got the toys, he's just knocking them off, slapping away. As soon as they fall, he, he's crying. He wants it. He wants this. He wants that. So I picked it up. I gave him one of his toys. I picked up another one he dropped. I gave it to his sister. And once he got the toy first, he was happy. It was all smiles. And once he saw me give one to his sister, he's reaching his arm out. (laughs) 
And what does she do? I guess like a good little sister, she gives it to him. As soon as she gives it to him, he slaps it down on the ground. <laughs> so we always want something, and we always think that it'll provide us with peace and comfort, but it, it doesn't do that. As If you look as... as uh, as babies, you don't teach a baby to steal. Like babies automatically, they want to take. They want to give mine, mine, give me, give me, all kinds of things like that because we're born with that sin nature. And as adults, we always feel like something will fill that void within us, something that will satisfy us. So when God is telling us we shouldn't covet, we shouldn't do this, we shouldn't do that, it's because he knows our hearts. He knows how we're built as humans. We always want something, but it can never satisfy us for for young people, I gave an example of middle schoolers and teenagers. For this example, I'll say, let's say there was Johnny and, and Tommy, two friends. Johnny talks to Tommy, says, you know what, Tommy, what do you, what do you think about Ashley? Like, Ashley's kind of cute. I want to I ask her out. I want to take her to the, to the homecoming or the prom or something like that. And Tommy says, ah, I don't really know about Ashley. She has a big nose. She has an attitude. She kind of stinks. So, so, so Johnny says, you know what? You're right. I'm not, I'm not going to talk to Ashley. I'm not going to waste my time with that. So the next day, little Tommy comes to school and says, okay, this is my chance. He writes Ashley a nice little note. Says, Ashley, you're the most beautiful person in the world. Your nose is perfect. You always smell so good every time you come to school. And the next thing you know, the same boy who said, don't talk to her. She's got a big nose. She has an attitude. Now they're together two days later, the boyfriend and girlfriend. And stuff like that happens. I, I gave that example yesterday because I had a lot of kids from, I have a basketball program where I um, probably have like 40-something eighth graders that I coach. And a lot of them fit the description of that story. <laughs> so that's why I shared it. So, uh, and then that, that's it's realistic to how life is. He goes out with the girl. Two days later, he finds out it's not what he thought it was. We always think the grass is greener on the other side, and that's it's usually not the case. And the only person who can fill that void and, and fill that peace is Jesus. Like I shared with A.D., he had all the money he asked for, just $200,000. He made $50 million and wasn't happy. You see, church... We have to take these things serious. We always want things that, uh, that we feel like will make us happy, whether that's um, a relationship. You're dependent on a relationship. What if the relationship falls through? Now where does your peace go? And it's not saying that all these things are bad, but so to speak, if you put it ahead of God, then it is. We talked about uh, what about the kids who are very talented in sports, I played sports. Sports was a big part of my life. Um, all my siblings were all blessed to play college basketball. But if, let's say I was to get hurt, or let's say someone who's a great athlete was to get hurt, and all your peace and your happiness came from that sport, then what happens now? What happens now when, if you get hurt and it's taken away from you? Or for maybe the person who, who all your peace and happiness is tied into money. And financial problems happen. You lose your job. Things that are out of your control. Where does your peace and happiness go? Now, are you miserable? These are things that happen to people all the time. Because we're seeking peace and we're seeking to fill that void with things, with things. 
not God, things, things that can be taken away. You see, it's, it's very important that we, we take these things serious. These are real life examples. Think about the person who all your, your faith and happiness and peace comes from your kids or your family or your parents. A lot of times um, parents can even, their source of peace and joy comes from the kids. And let's say the kids graduate high school and go off to college. Now what do you have? You see, a lot of times the, the divorce rate is so high in this country. I want to say it's up to 50%, if not more. And the, one of the worst things you see these days is you see people who've been married 15, 20-something years getting divorces because they were married to their children because all their peace and happiness came from their children. So when the children leave, what do you have? You have a void. You're still empty. You see, a lot of times people, kids can put their faith or, their, or have their source of happiness and peace come from their parents. And then something's to happen. Let's say, God forbid, your parents get a divorce. Now where does that source of peace and happiness come from? I sit here today as someone who, growing up, the closest person to me was my father. I always wanted to do things like him. Some of the good characteristics about me that came from him, some of the bad ones about me came from him. He started his own business with no business degree, no background at all. And I started my own business as well with no business degree or background at all. And growing up, he, he made a lot of promises to me. He said that he'd always be there. He knows that if anyone would have my back or support me, it would always be him. And I'm standing here today as someone who I have no idea where my father lives to this day. I don't know where he's staying. A lot of the promises obviously never came true. And if all my source of peace and happiness came from him, where would I be right now? Where would I be? And then for, for some, like I said, we, we talk about real things. Everyone saw the the cardboard testimonies, everybody was really honest about their lives, the past lives they lived. And when you're in God, you, you shouldn't be ashamed of what you were in the past because none of us are perfect. And God has the power. Pastor brought up Jesse here, and, and Jesse told about his past and being addicted to drugs and things like that. But God has the power to change that. You see, the world would look at it and say, well, he's an addict. He's going to be like that forever. And things like that, but God has the power to change everybody. Yes, so for, for people who struggle and, and get their source of happiness and peace and relationships and look at pornography and things like that, those are things that will never satisfy you. It's a slippery slope. You might be looking at those kind of things, and then the next thing you know, you, now you want to start doing the real thing, and you're, and you're carrying all that baggage. And I was telling the, the teens in here yesterday that every time you do that, you may not look at it this way, but what it is is you're cheating on your future spouse. Well, that's a husband or a wife. You're cheating on your future spouse. Every time you look at those things, every time you're doing things in relationships outside of marriage, you're cheating on your future spouse. Because, yes, like I just said about Jesse, God can change every characteristic about you, but you'll always have those memories. Those memories will always go with you, whether you don't want to, Believe them or not, you still got to push them to the side. Those memories will always go with you. And those memories and those 
thoughts or those things that happened in the past will always come into your marriage. You're bringing that baggage into the future mother or father of your kids. And that's not how it's meant to be. You see, we'll, uh, you also look at those who may think drugs and alcohol, things like that. That'll provide, that'll fill the void. I'm hurting. You know how many times you have people who, man, I've had a hard day. I need to take a drink or I've had a hard day. I need a cigarette or I need to smoke something. Who knows what? You're looking to fill a void with drugs and alcohol that only God can fill. If you go to any alcoholic or drug addict today, they're not going to tell you that, you know what? I love drinking. I love smoking. I love doing all this stuff. They will regret the first day they ever took a drink. Because you can't find peace from those things. Those are things that the world will call peace. The world will say will give you peace. Jesus says in John 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And I'll read it again. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So when Jesus is saying this, he's not saying that the world won't try to offer you peace. He even said, not as the world gives do I give to you. So these things I just talked about that that you think can fill a void or the world will tell you or friends will tell you, yes, this can fill your void. This can, can cover the hurt or anger or sadness in your life. Jesus says, no, I don't give you peace as the world gives you. Let not your heart be troubled. Jesus didn't say that your heart will never be troubled. We live in a real world. Jesus is honest with us. And he said, neither let it be afraid, meaning you can be afraid. We're capable of being troubled. We're capable of being afraid. Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. That means we can have those things in our life. We can be burdened, but we don't have to carry them. We don't have to live in those things. We have peace in him. Amen. Another example of peace, there was, a, there was a coach who coached in the NBA. His name was Monty Williams. He was a head coach. Uh, now he's a current assistant coach for the Oklahoma City Thunder. It wasn't nothing but a couple weeks ago, his wife um, passed away in a, in a car accident. She was killed in a car accident. They had four or five young children. And I was watching, they have games on TNT on Thursdays, and I was watching, and they showed a clip of the funeral. And um, Monty Williams, he was a believer. His wife was a believer. They're a family full of believers, and they put their trust and faith in the Lord. And he said, I appreciate all your prayers that you have for my family. He said, but let's pray for the other family. They lost someone, too. And that family didn't wake up that morning saying, I'm going to take Monty Williams' wife's life. And he went on to say that in America and in the world, we're taught, put, on, put up a front, act like things don't phase us when on the inside we have hurts, we have burdens. And he said, if anything, all he would ask is that everyone who's hearing that message would just return to the Lord and give their lives to Jesus. So they cut it off after that point, and they went back to the, to the game, and the, and the commentators were talking. And uh, Charles Barkley, who played in the NBA, the first thing he said was, wow, wow, he's a better man than me. 
And uh, I was talking with my wife. I was, I was surprised they showed that much of the funeral. Usually on national television, when you speak about Jesus, you randomly just get cut off. <laughs> Seriously. So um, the next day, I was surprised to see on ESPN every single show talking about Monty Williams. Did you see that speech? Did you see how he could do that? Did you see what a great man he is? Everybody kept saying the same things. He's a better man than me. He's, he's stronger than me. He's this, he's that, he's this, he's that. But what the world doesn't understand, he's not a better man than you, me, or anybody in this place. He's actually the same. We're all on the same playing field. The thing that made that situation different is what was within him. See, the world doesn't look on the inside. The world looks on the outside. And from the world's point of view, how can a man lose his wife in an accident having to raise four or five young kids on his own when he travels so much in the NBA? How can he do that? How can he still be upbeat? How can he ask for prayers for the, for the family of the people that killed his wife? It's because of, because of what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. If he suck, suck, sought out his peace in the world, the first thing he would have done after his wife was killed, he would have went to the bottle. He would have went to drugs. He would have went to depression. He would have went to who knows how many things. But he went to Jesus. like to read one last, one last story. You have to forgive me for all the NBA and basketball references. Yeah, but you're going to have to get used to it, I guess. So there was an article written about a famous athlete. I'm sure many in here have heard of him before. His name was Michael Jordan. And the Michael Jordan you're thinking about, this isn't a random Michael Jordan. So Jordan goes on to say this, my ego is so big now that I expect certain things. This is a natural consequence of a life at the very top. Jordan is used, is used to being the most important person in every room he enters, going a step further in the lives of everyone he meets. People cater to his every need. Imagine that life for a moment. Put yourself in his shoes. Air Jordans, of course. You can't recall the last time you weren't the most important person in the room. No matter where on planet Earth you go, you're a king. 30 years and counting. What would that type of recognition do to someone? What would that type of recognition do to you? In his 2009 Hall of Fame speech, Jordan called the game of basketball his refuge. The place where I've gone when I needed to find comfort and peace. Years later, the restlessness remains. Turns out that drive that turned a shy North Carolina youngster into a household name comes with a price tag. Jordan stares in the mirror wondering where to turn. Jordan says, how can I enjoy the next 20 years without so much of this consuming me? He ponders. How can I find peace away from the game of basketball? This is a man who's made hundreds of millions of dollars, 
probably billions, has his own team, has his own plane, has people literally killing each other for his shoes. And he asked, how can I find peace away from the game of basketball? See, this isn't a message attacking professional athletes. It's just showing us that we can't find true peace outside of Jesus Christ. You see, God created each of us with a void only he can fill. In simple terms, if you break free from a bondage of using drugs and alcohol, but fill that void with anything but Jesus, another bondage will replace it. If you get free from an emotional dependency on relationships, but ignore a relationship with Jesus, another addiction will take its place. Only God fills that void. Everything else only deepens it. Filling the void begins with faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't save us in order to fill the void with stuff we've always wanted. Our dreams, our stuff, our pleasure, our needs. Doesn't mean that God won't give us the things, give us some of the things we want. But the things we want can't be more important in our lives than Jesus. God promises in Jeremiah 29, 11, you don't have to go there for time. God says, for I know the thoughts, in some translations it says plans, that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you future and a hope. And I'll read it from the other translation. It says, for I know the plans that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of, plans of peace and not of evil, to give you future and a hope. You see, this is the, the same God that created everything, created the universe that came down from heaven and died on the cross for our sins. This same God is the one who has plans for us. Plans that we can't even understand without a relationship with him. You see, God has everything under control in our lives. He has an amazing plan that we wouldn't be able to imagine if we don't submit to him. You see, we can't, we can't play church. We can't put on a, a Christian face when it's convenient. And then whenever we need to be comfortable, act like the world, do things that the world is doing. God sees our hearts. The world looks on the outside things, but God knows our hearts. He sees our hearts. We can't fake it out with God. We can't fake it. I know uh, growing up, first 18 years of my life, I grew up in church. And I served in the church, got baptized in the church, did all kinds of different things, was heavily involved. And, and if someone was to look at me on the outside, they'd be like, you know what? That's a good kid. He, he has it together. He has it together. He, he knows a lot about God. But good kids go to hell, too. And I would have been one of them because I didn't have a relationship with God. I knew of him, but I didn't know him. You see, for another example, let's say. For example, let's say I know uh, I know a lot about President Obama. Let's say I can tell you where he was born. I can tell you his favorite food. I can tell you his favorite movie. I can tell you everything about his parents. I, I just, I can quote facts like this about Obama. I know a lot about him. 
And let's say I went somehow, got, got the money, went to Washington, D.C., and I walked up to the White House. The Secret Service didn't take me out that day. They let me get all the way to the front door, and I knocked. I'm trying to see Obama. And then somebody actually opens the door. And they're like, who are you? Like, what are you doing here? I was like, well, I'm just coming to talk to uh, uh, the president. And they were like, well, what are you, do you know him? Yeah, I know, yeah, I know Obama. He was born in so-and-so year, I know him, bring him out. So the president comes forward, he looks at me, looks at his uh, security that opened the door and says, I don't know him. And they close the door. You see, that little example is the same thing in the kingdom of heaven. The same exact thing. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7. We'll begin in verse 21. The Bible tells us in Matthew 7, verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I, Jesus, will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I'm going to read these verses again, and I want us to catch something. And I know that somebody in here is going to catch something. I know I I spoke about the same thing yesterday. I said, you can have two people in a church service. They all hear the same message. But one is focused on God's word, and, and God is speaking to both of them. But one is pressing in and trying to catch something. The other is just here going through the motions. And the one who catches it, It could be something that changes their life. So as we read this again, I want us to catch the we's in this. Catch the we's. There's a lot of we, didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? This walk with Christ is personal. We's not going to get you into heaven. A good mother or father that believes in Jesus Christ will not get you into heaven. A good brother who believes in Jesus Christ will not get you to heaven. It's personal. So Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he does not say, but y'all in the Texas translation. (laughs) But he says, but he who does the will of my father in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. See, our walk with God is personal, like I said. When we breathe our last breath, I can't come to Jesus and say, you know what? My dad walked out of my life. He wasn't there to see me get married. He never... He wasn't there to meet my nephews and things like that. And, and it frustrated me. And, 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 I, and I was so torn, like, 
God's going to say, well, what did you do with the life I gave you? Another, another example, uh, like Pastor said, he said we met on the basketball court and um, played college basketball. Um, I wanted to play overseas. Like I have a younger brother now who's blessed to play overseas right now. And um, after college, I got, a, I got a deal to go play in Germany for a certain amount of money. And I didn't know anything. Me, you saw the cardboard testimony. It said selfish. So this was before I was saved. So I was like, man, I'm worth more than that. I'm not going there for that amount of money. Even though they're going to pay for everything, give me a car, give me a place to live. The money's tax-free, all that stuff. So I turned it down. So then I kept working and working and working, working out and doing things to try to prepare myself for the next job. I had an agent at the time, and he was like, don't even worry about that. I didn't want you to take that job to Germany anyway. I got something better for you where you're going to make even more money. A couple months go by, phone never rang again, didn't get another job. Some more months went by. I went out to uh, Florida and played for a semi-pro team out there. Things went well until then they just stopped paying the players, and then I came back. So it didn't work out, and I was like, you know what? God, God, God's going to do this. God's going to do this for me. But what was I doing for God? I didn't even, they were just empty prayers of my needs, of my wants, not even needs, wants. And the time came around where I got another opportunity to play for uh, like a semi-pro team in uh, San Antonio. And it's funny, I don't know if anyone watches the San Antonio Spurs, uh, they talk about uh, this guy, Jonathan Simmons who everyone said came out of nowhere uh, to play with the Spurs this year. And me and Jonathan Simmons were actually in the same league. We actually used to guard each other and, and things like that. But um, that happened, the season ended, and I was like, you know what? God has something planned for me. I'm, I'm going to make it. I think God just put me through this test to see where my faith was. And, this, and even during this time, I felt like God was speaking to me. I still didn't have a relationship with him. If you don't have a relationship with him, you don't know what God's telling you. So fast forward, I get to the summer and I get an offer to go play in Spain. And I was like, yes, this is God. God, God worked it out. He's seen that I've humbled myself. I'll, I'll take whatever deal I can get. And at that same time, I had a, a personal issue happen in my family with my father and all my siblings. They, I got a, a sister who lives in Michigan. My brother at that time was living in San Antonio, and my younger brother was playing college basketball in Missouri, and I knew I couldn't leave my mom at that time by herself. So all the hard work, about two and a half years of, of just devoting everything to basketball, now I knew it was taken away because there's no way that I would leave my mom and go halfway around the world and let her deal with that situation. So I was crushed. I was depressed. I was everything you could think about. I, I used to go to the gym at that time because I knew it was over after that point because it's hard to, to get on and play professional at any level when your resume looks empty for a year or two. So I was crushed. I used to go to the gym to go work out and I would sit in the corner, headphones on, head down, just thinking, man, I'm a failure. I'm a failure. I got older siblings who are doing well. My older sister's a doctor. Um, my brother 
He's finishing up his last year's of residency. He's going to be a surgeon. And I'm like, look at me here just with nothing, a failure. Every time my parents see me, they think failure, this, this, and that. Look, look, look at them. And my parents weren't thinking that, but the devil will tell you those things. The world will say those kind of things. So I was at my lowest point, and it was, and it was funny. Like Pastor said, we met on the basketball court. So even during some of that time, I knew him. I'd be back in town. We'd play, and uh, he invited me to church. Like that's why Victory World Outreach, we outreach. We have the evangelism, discipleship, church planning. And he, he reached out to me. He said, hey, do you mind coming to church on Sunday? And I was like, sure. Like I said, I grew up in church the first 18 years of my life. I might have missed just a couple services. Went to college. Don't even know if I went to church ever. Living a life. <laughs> I'll just leave that between me and the Lord because it was bad. <laughs> so he invited me. So I come to church. And actually, the first time he invited me, I was so angry, frustrated, just everything. I drove to that parking lot right over there. Sat in my car for five minutes, and I said, I can't just put on a fake smile with all these people that I don't even know. So I drove, turned around, and went home. Pastor texted me, said, how was the service? He was out of town. And I was like, you know what? I didn't even go. I was too mad. I was too this. I was too that. And then he told me, he was like, you need to go. He was like, there's no telling what word God could have spoke to you that day that could have just changed everything. So you know what? I said, no matter what, I'm going to go. So the next time I went, pastor was at the door, shaking hands, and I didn't know he was a pastor. I just thought he was a nice guy that goes to church and can shoot. <laughs> so he shakes my hand, and, and I'm like, okay, thanks for coming. But I'm like, cool, I'm going to just sit in the back. And I did not grow up in a church like this at all. <laughs> so the first couple months, praise and worship, everyone's clapping. I'm like this. I, I won't even lie to you. I used to come to church here late on purpose so I could miss part of the clapping, the drums, the noise. I'm not going to lie. I used to come in late on purpose. And I'd come in, just put my head down, sit down, say my little prayers, who knows what. And, um, and, it, and it, was, it, was, it was funny also that I didn't know he was a pastor. So once, I, once he was greeted and he was sitting over there I was like okay he's just gonna whatever and then uh he came to preach and I was like whoa he's the pastor I've been cussing kicking basketballs cussing people out at the gym getting mad and this whole time he he's the pastor so I was woo. and um that's that's just how he is he doesn't judge anybody he just wants to see people get right with God And I'm, and I'm very thankful for that. And so to tie everything in together, when I had that job to go play in Spain, I talked to pastor. He was the pers first person I called, and I said, yeah, I'm in this tough situation. I don't want to leave my mom, but at the same time, I feel like God wanted me to take this. He put me through the fire, through the ups and downs, and this is what I was supposed to do. And he said, you know what? I think you should stay. But if you get another offer that just blows everything else out the water, then take it. So time passed, nothing came. Um, I started, since I didn't go overseas, I had some money saved up, I started a basketball program called Basketball Means More. 
And one thing I've never even told Pastor to this day, he kind of spoke it over me without even knowing. He was saying that, um, yeah, God's going to use your basketball program to see kids get saved, to reach all kinds of kids. And in my head, I was like, yeah, that sounds good, but I can't just go up to a whole bunch of people I don't know telling them about Jesus. So God's going to use to get these kids better. And if Jesus comes along the way, okay. But when he said that, I was like, that's the plan. That's one of the plans that God had for me. So when I speak about there's voids in our lives that only God can fill. And I say, and, and I read out of Jeremiah 29, 11, that God says, for I know the plans that I think towards you, says the Lord plans of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. God is so good and merciful that the things that you may love, as long as you put God first, he can still use those things. God didn't take basketball away from me. Last night was an amazing night. So many kids came forward. Kids got saved that I didn't think would happen. But we can't put limits on God. Cannot put limits on God. Musicians, you can come forward as I'm closing. See, the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Meaning that not one of us are good enough to make it to heaven on our own. The nicest person you can think of, whether it's a grandma or a mom or a friend or whoever, the nicest person you can think of and Osama bin Laden or the most evil person you can think of are all equal without Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible even tells us that no man is righteous, not even one. That we're all in the same boat. Jesus came to take our burdens, to provide rest for the weary, that we can't do it on our own. But with him, he'll give you a peace that you've never known. The Bible says that he will supply us with a peace that surpasses all understanding. See, the Bible also says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you live a life of sin, you will earn death. Those are the wages. And you will not go to heaven but if you accept Jesus' sacrifice for your sins on the cross, you'll be promised eternity with Christ in heaven. The Bible also tells us that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. And the amazing thing about God, like we read in some of these verses earlier, he knows you're going to have troubles. He knows you're going to have struggles. He knows that there's going to be times of financial difficulty. He knows those things. He, he knows our hearts. He knows the things we go through. But that's why he died for us. So there's a way out. There's a way that you can have peace. That coach who lost his wife has peace because of, he accepted Jesus' sacrifice. And like I said, if you don't know Jesus in this place, you'll have an opportunity to accept him. And one of the most amazing things that I can think of is how God won't just pour out his spirit in you and, and save you and just leave you there. 
to go through it all alone. He promises us in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. If you have your Bible, that's a great verse to underline. It says, being confident in this very thing, that he, Jesus, who begun a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He won't leave you there on your own. He has a plan for each and every one of you. And he wants you to walk in that plan. He wants you to know that plan. And when you do, he'll never leave you. When Jesus started something, he'll finish it. Jesus had a plan for all of us. He didn't just die on the cross so we could know about him. He died on the cross so we can come into a relationship with him. And not only that, he's still coming back for us. Whether we die or the Lord returns in the sky, he will come back for us. He has a plan for each and every one of us.